Thanks for tuning in to a Sunday service. This week, we'll hear a message from Pastor Andy Bowles. I'm sure you've been asked that plenty of times in life. Maybe as a, as a son to a parent, a daughter to a parent, or maybe a student to a teacher, maybe an employee to a boss to answer that question. What's your reason? Uh, in other words, why, why did you decide to do that? Or why are you in more of a consistent manner doing that? What, what, is, what is the reason in which you have chosen to act out in the way that you have. Now, uh, real quick, just to distinguish the difference between reasons and excuses. Because I don't know if you are like me. Sometimes I can be ca uh, caught in a situation. I can be cornered in, 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 a, in a problem. And, and when confronted with that question, why did you do that? What was your reason behind doing that? Sometimes I am prone to making make an excuse, which just basically means I want to justify what I'm doing so that you can miss the real reason of why I'm doing it. It's an excuse, right? So there's a, a big difference between what is a reason and, and what is an excuse. Actually, the definition of reason is the explanation for an act or an event, Right? It's the explanation, not the excuse, but the real truth behind what is being done. So we could just, this morning, look around the crowd and we could ask ourselves, what is their reason? We could, this day, look in the mirror and ask ourselves the question, what is our reason for? What, what, let, me, let me just say this. Why did you come here today? You don't have to answer it audibly it can be just something inside of your heart a rhetorical question that you bounce around in your mind I think it'll be good for you to do that throughout the entirety of this message why am I here what's the reason for me coming it's Easter right and, and I know a lot of times our answer for special occasions like this is it's Easter and that's why I'm here because I go to church on Easter or maybe you heard that we're giving away this really jazzy Easter basket and so you're like, got my ticket, I'm ready to go. Or, or, or maybe it was because of an invite of a friend. Or, or there could be a whole host of, of different reasons of, of why you're here. It's good to be able to, to answer that question. But what we understand is throughout life, and I'm sure you probably heard this statement before, throughout life there seems to be a reason for everything. You might, you might have heard somebody say that. If you've gone through a difficult moment, maybe, maybe their way of comforting you was to say, well, there's a reason for everything. You know, I had a, had a flat tire in the rain and didn't have a spare and had to walk 12 miles uphill both ways, you know, to get gas in my car's diesel. But there's a reason for everything, you know. And, 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 but, but in reality, there, there, there is a reason for everything. If we believe that we have a God who is so magnificent and so grand and so glorious and, and so amazing, then, then He is working things out that we don't see. He's moving in ways that we can't fathom. He's, he's 
interacting in people's lives as he's interacting in our lives and not just in the moment in which we live, but in moments ahead of us. He's doing all of this amazing stuff because he is a God of reason and he's working things out for your good and for his glory. Therefore, there is a reason for everything. This morning, what we get the opportunity to do is come together over the greatest reason Christianity exists. You think about all the positive things that we find in, in Christianity, not just as far as what we see it as re a religion. It, it is a good thing in religion if it facilitates the activity of your faith. We don't want to get caught up in religiosity to where we think what we do is a means of our salvation. But because we have been saved, Christianity, it, it, is, it is the means in which we operate our, our faith and and so the reasons behind, man, you just think about when you have been down and discouraged and you thought that there was no more hope and then you got a phone call from that brother or that sister who encouraged you in that moment. There's a great reason behind Christianity there, right? Maybe you're having to make an, uh, a difficult decision in life. Maybe it's to uproot your family and move. Maybe it's to get another job. Maybe it's to entertain the idea of that relationship or maybe that relationship again or again, again, again. And so what do you do? You go to the Bible and you, you seek out wisdom from God's word and you say, man... There's great reasons behind the Christian faith. Now, we pray and we seek the Lord. What another great reason for Christianity? Because we, among all the religions of the world, have direct access to the Father through the Son, who is the intercessor, the mediator between God and man. And God hears us when we pray. It's not delayed, but it is in the moment He hears. We have a God who is willing to hear and answer us. As we pray, Ooh, the reason of Christianity, but it all hinges on what we're celebrating today, the resurrection. <laughs> I want you to know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives every follower of Jesus who believes in that book, who prays, who encourages one another, who attends meetings like this, who gives to the needs of those who have need. It's because of hope. Hope is our reason, right? Hope, uh, this, this reason of hope. If you got your Bibles, flip over with me real quick to John chapter 20, and we're going to read the first few verses. Resurrection, we mentioned it last Sunday, means hope. Hope is our refuge, and now today we see hope is our reason. And we're going to read John chapter 20, verse 1 through 10. This is, the, this is the story, one out of four of the resurrection of Jesus in the New Testament, contained in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here is John's perspective as the Holy Spirit reminds him and reveals truth to him and then teaches him or tells him to write this Gospel record down. And this is the perspective that God gave John for us today. It says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, into the sepulcher or the tomb or the grave, and seeth the stone taken away from the grave, the sepulcher, the tomb. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. By the way, that's John. John was Two things, in my opinion. He was a lot more than just two things, but two main things. Number one, he was a very humble person. 
He, in humility, felt it was an amazing thing that Jesus would call him to follow him, leaving the nets of fishing, that, that he would allow him into this inner circle to where he watched Jesus sweat as it were great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. But in this humility, as God leads him to write five New Testament books, John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation, that he would refer to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Humility is a big deal, but understanding who loves him and how he's loved by God. You want me to tell you how to get a good, good, good gris, uh, grasp on, on humility? Understand the love of God for you, and it'll put you in a great place of humility. Knowing that it is only by the love of Jesus Christ that you are who you are and you have what you have and you're going where you're going because of the love of Jesus. And so whenever he writes this, he says, he doesn't say it was me and Peter running to the tomb. But he says, man, I remember this. Man, I'm going to remember this. I'm going to keep remembering this. When I think nobody around me loves me, I'm going to remember this. John was poisoned one time. John was put in a vat of oil. They tried to kill him. He, he couldn't be a martyr. Jesus has promised that he would see his coming, and he wrote the book of Revelation. He was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. When he's all alone, I'm going to remember there's one that loves me. There's one that loves me. And guys, I'm going to tell you, though you might sometimes feel absolutely alone, sometimes you might feel like everybody is against you, sometimes you might think nothing is going your way, there's always one great overwhelming overriding thing that is going your way, and that is that Jesus loves you. Amen. That Jesus loves you. And so he says, the disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, this is Mary Magdalene's report to Peter and John, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter. He must have been a little competitive too. Yeah. I'm going to remind the, all the world of Christianity and everybody who ever picks up John chapter 20 and remind Peter that I'm faster than he is. That's what, yeah, I ran faster than he did. And came first to the sepulcher, and stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter, following him, and he went right on into the sepulcher. And he sees the linen clothes lie in the napkin that was about the head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together and placed by itself then went in also that other disciple, a little cautious, but he comes in now, which came first to the sepulcher and saw and believed. He believed. That's very key in this passage. He believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Verse 10. Then the other disciples, or excuse me, then the disciples went away to their own home. I mean, this is, this is an amazing story that is the bookend somewhat to an amazing story. Jesus has just had a wild week. He has come into Jerusalem with the cries of Hosanna, Hosanna, the palm branches are falling. They're looking for him to be the king that removes the boot of authority of the Roman Empire off of the neck of the Jews in Israel. He is applauded. He's listened to by one crowd. He's loved by one crowd. And then there's another crowd that just hears him. They're not really listening. They hear him. And with hardened hearts, they're looking for ways to trip him up and catch him. And at the end of the week, guess what happens? They do. 
They catch him with false accusations and they arrest Jesus and they beat Jesus and they ridicule and mock Jesus and they crucify Jesus and they bury Jesus. There's 11 guys who who have been following Jesus for three and a half years. I said 11, I didn't say 12. We know what happened with Judas. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, tried to return the money and it wasn't received. They didn't want any part of blood money, so they took the money and went and bought a field, a field of blood. Judas goes, and in great remorse, but not repentance. Guys, let me say this. You can have remorse. You can feel sorry for what you've done, and you probably should feel sorry for the sins that you commit and the wrong you do to others and yourself. But only repentance will give you what you need. And so Judas goes and he, and he hangs himself. And so the 11 here, man, they're afraid. They're intimidated and they've been scattered and now they're hiding. And, and there's so much that's been happening up into this point to where you would have thought that verse 9 would not have been a challenge. According to Luke 18, verse 33, Jesus had told them, and not just in that instance, but many, many instances had told them, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be delivered in the hands of sinful men. They're going to beat me, mock me. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be buried. Don't, hey, listen, guys, don't let your Christianity stop there. Don't let your Christianity stop there. I know when my Christianity stops there, it's at the point to where I'm grateful for what God's done, but I don't see anything happening in the future for me to where I'm thankful for the cross and I'm thankful for the blood, but I'm doubting if there's truly any life ahead. Don't find yourself discouraged as a Christian. Find yourself today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the rest of your life encouraged because we have a God who has conquered the grave. He is resurrected from the dead. Death has no hold on him. So a lot of things have happened and there could be some very discouraging moments. But Jesus is alive. Jesus has risen and that brings hope to us. It brings hope to us in so many different ways. But what I need you to hear this morning, I, I want to walk through a series of thoughts with you real quick before we get into the meat of the message. But this is what I want you to understand. The, the resurrection of Jesus was extremely vitally important to Christianity. We're, we're going to talk about a passage here toward the end of the message that just reiterates that. But I need you to know Everybody take your finger and just touch your head. Yeah, not your neighbor's head. Okay, you're, you need to know. I want you to, I want you to know that the resurrection of Jesus is valid, factual, and historic evidenced. This is not something that is of make-believe. This is not a novel that has been written. This is a holy word of God that was men, holy men moved by the Holy Spirit to write a holy book for a holy people. There's a lot of holy going on, <laughs> right? 
But, but understand that in this book, we find historical evidence through inspired word. But there's more historical evidence that is out there than just the Bible that speaks to the mind of the person. I need you to know that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's not something that's just in the Bible. It's not something that had been rumored around for hundreds, a couple thousand years. It's archaeologically true. It's historically true. There was a guy by the name of Joseph. Cephas, wouldn't you like to have that name? Talk about third grade getting picked on. Josephus was a Jewish historian who wrote as the same time that Jesus lived a story of Jesus' life. Josephus was not even a believer or a follower of Jesus. The closest thing we understand of Josephus' acknowledgement of Jesus being more than a man is that he wrote that simple statement as he said, Jesus the man, if you could even call him a man. But in the writings of Josephus, Josephus recognizes that his body was no longer in the tomb. And he says his followers believe that he rose from the dead. And in his writings, he actually says that that could have been just them getting together and conspiring and saying, well, we just took his body and hid it, which was a fault. Even in the scriptures, that could have happened but then Josephus says, but that has to be dismissed because his followers are dying for his calls. Mm. <laughs> is there a reason in that? Oh, you better believe there is a big reason in that, right? It's so historically, factually, with evidence, it's true that Jesus rose from the dead. Even a more contemporary Jewish New Testament scholar, Gies Vermes, wrote many things about the resurrection of Jesus and the, the validations of, of the resurrection of Jesus. So I encourage you, if you want to do some studying... If you got questions on whether or not Jesus truly, really, literally, physically, bodily rose from the dead, you go study because God ain't scared of your questions. Right? He did it. He, he rose from the dead. But not just do I want to touch your mind, not do I want to just touch your head and for you to have knowledge, but I also want you to see how this affects this. Everybody take your finger and do this. Your heart. Your heart, right? We talk about the heart. I want you to know that it's more than just a physical muscle pumping blood uh, from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. It is a metaphorical thing in the scripture that talks about with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. It's a metaphorical thing, meaning this is the center of your affection, emotion, desire, will, your plans for life. This is that center of all of, of who you are, your, your heart. You might have heard somebody say, give me your heart, right? Or you gave that person your heart. I love you with all of my, we don't say liver, right? Heart, right? And, and so I, I, want, I want this resurrection to affect your heart. Because you've got to see what's happening here. This God who is more grand and glorious than what we could possibly imagine saw fit to come into the form of human and live on this earth for 33 and a half years, walked sinlessly, went to the cross, died on the cross, not for his sin, but for my sin and for your sin, that my sin debt would be paid in full. Whew, thank you, Jesus. I don't know about y'all, but I've done more dirt than I should have, right? And he paid the debt for that, right? And so... My heart is affected knowing that one who didn't do what I did 
went somewhere I can't go to do something I can't do. And that's die on the cross, be buried and raised from the dead because of my sins. And this is an amazing thought here, that he died. Let me ask you guys a question. What can a dead person do? Nothing. Nothing. A dead person doesn't make their own arrangements. A dead person doesn't dig their own grave. A dead person doesn't order their own stone most of the time. You know, a, a dead person can't do anything. But this is unique about Jesus, God in flesh, who has all power and authority at all times. He dies. He's buried. He lays in the tomb for three days. And guess what happened on that glorious resurrection morning? He caused his heart to start beating again. He caused his lungs to start breathing. It's a miracle. There's, there's no way this, I've read in the Bible to, to where people have been raised from the dead, but it was somebody else raising somebody else from the dead. Lazarus is raised from the dead. The young girl is raised from the dead. There's nobody out there trying to raise Jesus from the dead. Jesus rose himself from the dead. Woo. And that affects me here. What made his heart start pumping again? What made his lungs start breathing again? I have to believe he knew that the death took care of the debt for my sin, but the resurrection was going to make me live again. <laughs> it's going to affect me. But then also, the resurrection of Jesus affects our hands. Take your finger and just pat one of your hands. We done covered the heart, or the head, the heart. And the hand now, the hand. If I know it to be true, and I know it to be true, it is irrefutable facts. There's more fact that Jesus rose from the dead than Caesar Augustus lived. Julius Caesar lived, rather. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a factual thing. I can know this. I can know that he rose from the dead for me, and then I can sit there and do nothing with it. Or I can choose to, by faith, do something with what I know. What's your reason? What's your reason? Is, is hope a reason for you in the resurrection? Yeah. What are you doing? What are you doing with the resurrection? What are your hands finding to do? Is it a pursuit in your life to make sure that you use absolutely everything of who you are in every moment to serve Christ because he had rose from the dead? <laughs> what happens when hope is our reason in the resurrection. Well, we got to take this the story of John chapter 20. We got we got to we got to dig into it a little bit. You see hope causes us to hear hear the resurrection to hear it. These two ladies, very early in the morning, no doubt emotionally driven. They love Jesus. They're going to spice the body of Jesus. They didn't have time because the Sabbath was coming as a good Jew. They have to not do anything on the Sabbath, very, very little. And so they knew that they couldn't spice or embalm the body of Jesus. Immediately they take his body down. Joseph and Nicodemus wrap it up. They put it in the tomb and he's there. And they go back out of love to honor the body of Jesus. And She's there and she's gonna, she's just gonna, with a broken heart, do what we've done many, many times, go to the grave of our loved ones, showing respect, right? And she's there and she sees something that she wasn't expecting to see. The stone is rolled away. The clothes are there. The head cloth is neatly folded up as to say, I am finished, it is done, it is complete, it is set to the side. And what does she do? She takes off 
Ain't nobody going to believe this. You, you know, God kind of, it's kind of strange who he entrusts his stories with, right? <laughs> Look around. Y'all some strange people. It's kind of strange who God decides to entrust his story with. Whenever he came the first time, he gave the news of his arrival to, to shepherds in a field all by themselves. <laughs> now a woman. <laughs> Not the customary thing, right? To this, to this woman, Mary Magdalene, and she takes it and she, she goes, she runs, she goes to Peter and John and she begins to tell them. Now they could have very easily said, God ain't going to speak to you, woman. God ain't going to reveal nothing to you, woman. I don't believe what you're saying, woman. But they heard. <laughs> they heard this news. They had to go see it for themselves. And so what do they do? They, they left that moment. They left where they were after they heard it. Let me tell you something. Hearing it is wonderful. You need to hear it. And not only do you need to hear it on Easter Sunday morning that Jesus rose from the dead, you need to remind yourself, speak to yourself, speak to those around you that Jesus is risen from the dead 365 days, 66 on leap year, 24-7. People need to hear it. You need to hear it. You need to be reminded that Jesus rose from the dead did it's a it's a good story it's one worth telling it's one worth repeating it's one worth hearing then we see that they go to the tomb they've heard it and now they're getting ready to run to it because in a minute they're going to run with it <laughs> they run to it so that ultimately they can run with it. Where's your hope in the resurrection? To hear it, but not just hear it. you got to run to it, and then when you run to it, you need to get it and run with it. <laughs> what do you mean, Andy? You're speaking to metaphorically. If the resurrection of Jesus has not radically changed absolutely everything about you, there is an issue. Especially if you claim to be a Christian. The resurrection of Jesus breathes so much hope in us that it dispels anything else around us, that it deals with everything that we could possibly face in life because Jesus died and rose again. He's promised to us by faith that we can take this thing and hear it and remember it and love to hear it, but also something that we can run with as we've run to. He says in verses 3 and 4, Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulcher and they both ran together. Mary Magdalene, she, in verse two, runneth and comes to Peter. This is something worth getting active over. Where Greg at? Greg was trying to get you guys up and get you guys going this morning, right? Because this is something worth running with. Understand this, that the days are evil, the time is short. The return of Jesus is very near. You say, oh, you one of them preachers. You better believe it. Now, you a nut. I'm screwed to the right bolt. It's okay. Okay? I believe Jesus is coming. It's been preached for hundreds of years at this point, And that just means it's even closer now that Jesus is coming. We got to be people who are running with this good news of the gospel of Jesus because there are hurting people out in the world who need to hear it. Just like these two guys were nussled up and, and they were depressed and discouraged until Mary Magdalene came to them. How in the world they let this truth escape them that Jesus is going to be raised from the dead? And yet they did, and they're moping around, and now, they, now she comes. He's not there. He's not there. 
and they get up and they run to it so that they can run with it. What are you running to whenever you run to the resurrection? You are running to a restored life. You're running to a renewal after a hurt so that you can run away with the resurrection that is a balm to help other people who are in the rut of sin and who are hurt by the world. That's what our responsibility is. So they run to it and they run with it. But also, hope causes us to see it. See it, yeah. Now about these three things, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love, but it doesn't discount the fact of faith and hope. Hope is something that gives, gives faith vision. It's what hope is. Hope gives faith vision. It gives the opportunity to be able to see something that is unseen. And there is something unseen in this passage. You don't see it. It is the reviving. It is a heart being re starting to rebeat again for, for hope. All of Christianity at this point is discouraged and, and disbanded and hiding and, and waiting in, in, the, in the resurrection of Jesus. And so what do they need to see? They need to see an empty tomb so that they can have a field life. They go and they, they see in verse 5 through 7 and stooping down and looking in, they saw the clothes lying out there. And then Simon Peter, uh, following, him, uh, following him, went into the, the sepulcher and sees the linen clothes lying there and the napkin was off to the side. There, there's things in the tomb, but Jesus is not in the tomb. And they, they experience this. Later, if you'll, I, I've been listening. I bet I listened to this chapter no fewer than 20 times this morning getting ready on my Bible lab. If you'll follow this chapter out, you'll see that Jesus confirmed the fate of those who saw him. He said, blessed are you because you've seen to Thomas. He said, but man, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Man. This thing that, that hope is causing, causing us to see what can naturally be seen by faith. But then also, this is, this is the shouting point right here, verse 8. <laughs> you see, hope causes us to hear it, run to it, and run with it. Causes us to see it, but, but also causes us to believe it. Then went in also John, that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw... And believed. You want to talk about something that will radically change the course of everything about you? That's it right there. Believe. Believe not just with the head knowledge of facts that are out there, but with a heart reception that moves us to a hand action that says, Jesus, because you died on the cross, because you were buried, because you rose from the dead, I believe by faith. My belief is not a belief that just sits and listens. My belief is not a belief that just when cornered has to, has to say, yeah, I follow Jesus. My belief is not something that I just check on a box of some medical paper just in case something happens to me so that they've got a record. My belief is something that is going to wake me up every morning and lay me to bed every Every night that's going to motivate me through all of my conversations and all of my relationships. It's going to be in my social media posts. It's going to be in my text messages. It's going to be seen in my work. It's going to be seen in me raising my kids. It's going to be seen in me loving my spouse. That's what it is. That's where it's got to be. Right? So to believe it, hope causes us to believe and then hope causes us to share. 
to share it. How come we get so excited over accomplishments in the world and we're so eager to share our accomplishments in the world and it seems like sometimes it overshadows our desire to share the greatest thing that wasn't our accomplishment but his to share this. I shared with our... uh, our 9.15 prayer time, our, our servant circle in the morning, th- th- this morning. <laughs> I recently heard a stat put out by a reliable source. 4.5 million people, or excuse me, 4.5 billion people on the planet have not heard of Jesus. Who've not received Jesus to be Savior and Lord. Guys, there's a lot of people out there. I asked the question, and some of you guys were in that circle. Are any of those people in Scott County? Yeah. Are any of those people in Forest, Mississippi? Yeah. Are any of those in the proximity of two miles from where we're at right now? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was getting donuts this morning, and the little lady from Southeast Asia who's working in the donut shop, she says to me, she says, Happy Easter. And I looked at Ellis, and I said, Ellis, I don't even think she knows what Easter is. And I was like, ah, probably not. So she gives me my card back and my receipt, and I'm signing my receipt, and I'm getting my donuts, and I ask her, I said, do you know what Easter is? She said, no. And I said, it's when Jesus rose from the dead for us and our sins to be forgiven. And I don't think she knows any other English than knowing Happy Easter. But what I'm saying is, it's still our responsibility to share, right? To share. Share it. Hope moves us. It brings us to this place to where we hear it and we run to it and we run with it. And, and, and we, but we've got to land on this place of, of sharing it. The reason that you're sitting in this room this morning is because somebody chose to share it. Chose to share it. This is the verse I want to finish with. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. How important is the resurrection of Jesus? Why does it give us such visible hope. He says, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then your preaching is vain and your, your faith is in vain also. Yea, and all we are found as false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he, was, that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up if he be not raised from the dead. Verse 16. For if the dead raise not up, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ... Speaking of just the death, the crucifixion, we are of all men most miserable. How important. Let me tell you how important it is every time you attempt to pray in a desperate situation, it's worthless. Coming here this morning, it's worthless. Giving your money to meet needs of the people that are ministered to this, through this ministry, it's worthless. If Christ hasn't risen from the dead. If Christ hasn't risen from the dead. But he has. He has risen from the dead. And because of that, he promises us a resurrection. A resurrection first spiritually, and then a resurrection coming physically. 
Understand this, the reason that you're here this morning is because God has a great reason. The reason is, is he wanted you to hear this message and take part in this time. That he's got a great plan, and that plan is that Jesus 2,000 years ago died on the cross. He knew you was going to be born to whom you were born, where you were born, and the time you were born. And he knew you were going to be in this room this morning listening about the resurrection. There's two groups of people that I'm talking to this morning. People who have heard about the resurrection but rejected the resurrection. People who have never heard about the resurrection, maybe in their ear of their head, but not the ear of their heart. And today, for the first time, they're hearing it. And people who have given their lives for the resurrection but some have gotten off course. It's a great day to respond. It's a great day to trust the Holy Spirit. It's a great day to surrender absolutely everything to Jesus and find hope because of the resurrection. You don't have to leave here today the way you came in. You got trouble? You got heartache? Your life full of sin? Are you ready to get freed from that? 